If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there is probably one around you at a table or underneath your chair. And while you're doing that, let me go ahead and plug our kids program. I don't know if you know this, but our kids program is awesome. Yes. If you, if you work in our kids program, I want you to go ahead and stand so we can recognize you. If you work in any part of our kids program, check in any classrooms and help me thank those that do that. Our kids program is, I feel, different than a lot of, uh, a lot of other places you may have been to, at many different churches, um, where you might see uh, uh, a room that's meant for babysitting. Drop your kids off here and we'll, we'll entertain them with some few snacks and things like that until you come back. That's like the opposite of what we do in our kids program. We uh, love on those kids. We, we, they do worship. They have a curriculum where they teach them stories of scripture and give them um, all these things to, to go home with. Um, and they're all uh, made to their level. Each classroom has their own specific curriculum they do. If you didn't know that. Um, but that curriculum is, is, is quite expensive. And so for the last couple of years in our Upstreet program, we have been recycling our, our 12-month curriculum. We've been doing kind of the same thing we've been doing for a few years, just kind of recycling it, giving it some new energy and some new twists. And, and Heather has done a, a marvelous job of, of rewriting some of that and creating some of that. Last week we have... You can clap for her. I think that's fine. <clears throat> Last week, we had a first-time visitor. Um, she was here um, from out of town visiting her family, and her granddaughter was uh, upstairs in the upstreet, so she wanted to sit in and, and listen and be a part of it. And uh, she actually does uh, something similar in her church back at home, and she wanted to see what we did, and she sat there and listened through it. And um, afterwards, she approached Heather and said, you know what, I heard somewhere in the, uh, the small group or the story there was like uh, a need for curriculum. Someone mentioned that, you know, a wish list that we have in our kids program is to be able to, you know, uh, afford to purchase the curriculum and not have to keep recycling it. And uh, um, she's like, well, how much, how much does that cost? I, I want to help. And, and, and Heather, I think, replied back to her, you know, it's, it's expensive. It's it's a lot. We've kind of like, um, you know, we we put other things in front of that. We had a little more priorities than we didn't want to like just throw that out there. And she's like, well, I want to know what it is. And Heather's like, well, it's about $500 for the year. And she wrote a check, $500, by, by curriculum for the upstreet. <clears throat> Obviously, very, very exciting moment there. Um, and so we went Monday morning and we said, hey, let's, let's check what the cost is now. We've grown a little bit and it's based on your numbers and stuff like that. And the total bill is $604 for our curriculum. So I need someone to write a check for $104. I need someone to write a check for $104 today so we can buy the curriculum tomorrow. All right. I'm, uh, thank you. All right. <clears throat> Question. Do you love God? Lyrics to the song we, we just sang. We, we just sang, here's my heart, Lord. You're more than enough. You're, you're here, your love, your hope, your grace. You're all I have, you're everything. We sang, our love is big, our love is loud. We love you, Lord. We love you. We love you. Do you love Jesus the way you just sang about him? Do you love him loud? Do you love God? We are called, we are commanded to love God with that kind of love. But do you love God? Jesus said uh, this in Matthew's gospel. Stay where you're at, but I'm going to turn to Matthew. Jesus was approached 
in the street and he was asked about the, the commandments and what should I do? What should I obey? And this is how Jesus responded in Matthew 22. Verse 37 says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He goes on and says, this is the, great and for, the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it though. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. On these two commandments depends the whole law and the prophets. Do you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Can you even know? How, how do you know? Can you measure it? Can you graph it? Can you, can you chart it out? Earlier this week, I asked members of my staff and, and my elders to, to answer this question. How do you know if you're loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Finish this sentence for me. I am loving God with all my heart, soul, and mind when I blank. And I got a bunch of different answers, and we'll get back to those answers in a little bit. But what does that mean to you? How do you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Are you loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind? We just sang the words. Last week, we did something different. Instead of starting 2015 with goals and resolutions, we did something a little bit different. We looked at our regrets, right? We talked about how important it was to respond to our regrets, that the point in life was not to live without regret, but to respond to them in the way that Jesus did. And so I challenged each one of you to sit down, get alone with God, uh, write them down, look at some ways that, and allow God to speak to you to, to change. Maybe you needed to repent. Maybe you need to, to release those regrets or, or, and receive the forgiveness that he's given us. But not only as an individual, but as a church, we must look back together at last week last month, last year. And in our staff meeting this Tuesday, we watched a video from the Right Now conference and it was this pastor from this uh, large church in, in Texas and he was challenging all the pastors all over the country to evaluate your church. And so we've begun that process, starting with our vision and mission as the Grove Church. For you, you that don't know, the vision of the Grove Church is to turn irreligious people into fully transformed followers of Jesus. That's our vision. The mission of the Grove Church is to reach out, to reach up, and to reach in. That's our mission. As our participating member in the Grove Church, you've committed to join us in that mission. Some of you that are not members, you have joined us in that mission. But what does irreligious mean? What does it mean to be transformed? What does it mean to be a follower? Who is Jesus? Who do, who do we say Jesus is? What does it mean to reach up, to reach out, to reach in? So over the next several weeks, you're going to hear from me and some of our, our other teachers, some of our elders, uh, some ways in which we are fulfilling our mission and the ways in which we're not fulfilling our mission. And I came across this passage in 1 Thessalonians. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, there's an Old and there's a New Testament. And within the New Testament, there's these Pauline epistles. These are these books that Paul has written. There were letters written to specific churches that Paul started. So he would, Paul would go and start a church and then he would leave after a few months and go and start another church. And, and so here we have this letter written to the church in Therma, also known as Thessalonica, right? It's also known as Thessaloniki currently. 
This is a Google. This is a, a, a Bible trivia for you. It's one of the few cities that are left from Bible times. It has over 300,000 people in it, but one of the last uh, cities from, from the New Testament. But Paul would start a church in an area, and then he would move to another area and start another church. And then he would write letters back to these churches to, to encourage them and maybe also rebuke them and tell them, hey, this is where you're failing to be the church. But this one, in this book, he, he writes to this specific church in Thessalonians 1, uh, chapter 3, verse 10, says this. Night and day, we most earnestly pray that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Night and day, we most earnestly pray that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. I want us to find out where we're lacking as a church. Not as just individuals, but as a church, as a body of believers. That is my job as a pastor, to help you personally, and to help us as a body find it is where we're lacking in our faith, and then help us make changes. Help provide opportunities to supply you with what you're lacking. And so I want to start today with what I think is the first and most important thing as Christ followers individually and collectively as a church. And that's love. Do you love God? See, last week we looked at a conversation that Jesus had with Peter. If you remember the story, this is right after the resurrection. And we know that Peter just got done denying Christ three separate times. And now Jesus shows up on, on, the, on the lakeside and Peter's out there fishing and, and he calls out to him and tells him to throw his net across to the other side of the boat. And they, and they do it and they realize that it's Jesus. He's come back and Peter comes to, to see him on the beach and they're sitting there around the fireside and they're sharing fish that Jesus had provided. And, and, and Peter's there and, and Jesus is this huge moment. Jesus could ask Peter anything because Peter was ready to spill his heart. He, he had nothing else to lose. And Jesus knew he had just a short time with Peter, this opportunity maybe for one question to ask him. You see, Peter was, his name means rock, which is where Christ said, I'm going to build my church upon you, Peter. And so I got one question. I got to know this before I go away. I got to know, Peter, what translation of the Bible are you going to read? All right, that's what he said, right? Or he said, hey, Peter, one question. I'm going to build my church. I need to know, Peter, beer or no beer? What's it, what's it going to be out there? Or khakis or jeans peter what you gonna wear what are the pastors gonna wear why we need to know this well peter which way are you gonna vote i need to know peter we we got these are the important things right this is what we as churches argue about right jesus looks at peter and he says to him three times do you love me that's all he says if you read the gospels jesus also says hey if you love me you'll keep my commandments or in other translations, it might say, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. He's not talking about the 10. He's, he's talking about all the commandments, like loving your neighbor, forgiving others, serving others, giving. There are over a thousand commandments in the New Testament. But here's where most churches and most Christians miss the point. The point isn't the destination. The point is the journey. Living out our faith is not about the destination as much as it is about the journey. And so our journey starts with loving God. Do you love God? He commanded us to. He, the greatest commandment he said is to love God. And so if we're lacking in this, how do we change it? How can we supply to you uh, the love that is lacking? 
So I want to look at three areas in which I, uh, I want to see this. And I made it kind of easy for you. It's totally not my style, but I, but I use an acrostic, right? And you can find it in your bulletin. If not, I'll share it with you. Uh, I don't normally do this, but the acrostic is God, G-O-D, all right? And I'm going to tell you what the letters mean so I don't forget later on. But gratefulness, obedience, discipleship. So you can write those down if you've got your bulletin or if there are note cards at your table, you can use those to take notes on. Gratefulness, obedience, discipleship, God. <clears throat> Let's start gratefulness. There's a, turn to the book of Deuteronomy. It's the fourth, fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Context here is God's people have just been delivered from slavery. They've been led through the desert and then to the promised land, and they've been uh, provided all throughout their journey. Chapter 6, verse 12 says this Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Do not forget. Turn with me to chapter 8, verse 2. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. Verse 11. Beware that you do not forget. Beware. You must remember the Lord your God by keeping his commandments. Verse 18. But you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. That he may confirm his covenant with the swore to your fathers at his this day. Remember, do not forget. What does remembering do for us? It gives birth to gratefulness. Rio, uh, my, my three-year-old, just about four, she, she got some gifts over Christmas. Obviously, we gave her some toys. And um, whenever she's in the basement, she's playing with these toys. All of a sudden, she'll stop. And she'll come over to me and she'll get on my lap and she'll say, Remember Christmas when you, you gave me these toys? Remember the, I, I love you, Dad. And she would remember that moment when, I, when she was receiving those things. At nighttime, before she goes to bed, she's fighting us. She doesn't want to go there. But so she'll crawl up on my lap and she'll say, Dad, remember when you laid with me last night in bed? I, I love when you lay with me in your bed, in, in my bed. I love it, Dad. She remembers those moments. Think about the greatest moment you've ever had with your spouse. Think about it. It makes you thankful, doesn't it? Right? Remembering fans the flames of love. We are commanded to be thankful, to be grateful. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, it says, give thanks in all circumstances, right? In John 1, 16, turn with me to John. says this, for of his fullness we have all received, been given this grace upon grace. We've been given this from the abundance, it says, of this grace. We receive mercy and forgiveness, uh, the blessings of life. Have you ever had one of those God moments where you just stood in awe of God? Maybe it's during worship or, or just in a moment where, you know, you just you were blown away by something that happened. Listen. There is an enemy out there who doesn't want you to remember those moments. He doesn't want you to read about those moments. 
He doesn't want you to worship with the words that we sing. He wants you to be crippled by guilt and shame, by anger and bitterness. Don't remember these things of God. If you read the Bible, you will read and be thankful. You will read and remember and you will be grateful. And you must make it a habit to reflect on God and the good things that he's given us. And when you see that, when you read it, and when you worship, what happens? Question, if your heart is flooded with gratefulness, if your heart is flooded with these great things of God, are you more likely or less likely to sin? When God is more attractive than sin, we love God more. When we have negative thoughts about God, we are not compelled to love him. When you're upset with your spouse or with your roommate or your friends, do you love them more? Do you love her more? When all you can think about is the negative times, is it easy to love them? When you take a moment and stop and remember the things that they've done for you, the good times, you're more likely to love them and want to love them. All right, let's move to obedience. Have you ever been asked by someone or, or maybe told by someone, if you love me, you would blank? Probably most of us, right? John chapter 14. Verse 21. It says, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. First John chapter two. Chapter two, verse five. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Chapter five, verse three of first John. For this is the love of God that will keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, some people, when we hear this, instantly we're defeated, right? We want to quit this journey of following God. I, I guess I don't love God because I can't keep his commandments. It's hard enough to keep the 10 and now there's a thousand more from Jesus. I'm out. I quit. I'm done. And I know this is church, but let's, let's try something strange here. Let's try honesty real quick. Here it is. Who in here has difficulty obeying God's commandments. Who here? Raise your hand if that's you. All right. All of us. That means none of us have been able to obey God's commandments. And the ones that didn't raise their hands, they just admitted that they struggle with lying and obedience. Right? <laughs> the reason you think that your inability to keep God's commandments is keeping God from loving you is in your thinking. That's the problem. The problem is your formula. Parents of elementary kids, right? Or if you've had a kid in elementary school, have you ever tried helping them with their math homework these days, right? It makes absolutely no sense, right? I don't see how those things added together equal that solution, right? It's, it, it's, it's impossible. It doesn't make any sense. The same is with this. Your formula is wrong. If I keep God's commandments then he'll love me. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. 
Jesus went to the cross while we were still sinners. Love came first. We weren't keeping his commandments. He's not waiting for us to love him like we do with our relationships, right? If you love me, then I'll love you, right? I'll love you back if, if you love me first. This is not give and take with God. He just gives. And he gives us this commandment to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. But what does that look like, right? Remember, I told you that I asked the elders and the staff this question. Well, let me share with you their answers. You'll see them on the screen behind me. One of them said, when my heart, hope, and character are aligned with his word and Jesus' character, when I can view and love people the way he did. Another one said, when I am grateful and aware of the blessings he gives me, when I trust him to lead me and when I love others above myself. One said, when I'm seeking his guidance, yielding to his will, spending time in prayer, reading the word, loving other people. Another, when I feel connected with him, prayer, reading his word and attending church. Another said, when I set the stage for him to show up. Or when I completely surrender my heart, soul, and mind to him first through believing and receiving and accepting his gift of salvation, serving, worshiping him, prayer, and reading the Bible. Another one was, when everything in my life slows down, when he is my priority and my sole focus, or when I live with intention, self-awareness, and, and good habits, when I love and serve people with no selfish desires, and lastly, when I leave my personal agenda behind. There's the answer, right? That's the answer. Any clearer, right, on how to do it? No, it's all over the board, right? We all have different ways of doing it. But what does loving obedience say about us as believers? What does it say about us in our family relationships, right? Would it be fair for your spouse, and those that aren't married just envision you are, would it be fair for your spouse to ask you this question? Maybe you've been asked it before. If you loved me, you would listen to me, right? You would defend me. You would be more thoughtful. You would respect me. You would remember our anniversary, right? If you love me, would it be fair for you as a parent to say to your kids, if you love me, you would obey me? Those would be fair questions to ask. I recently had someone say to me, uh, I love you because the Bible says I have to. <laughs> no, you love me because your actions show it. But when people say that they love you and there's no actions or behaviors that line up, things don't add up, the, the gauges are reading low. When you open your refrigerator and the thermostat says dangerous levels, it may look like a refrigerator, but it's not. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Are you loving your enemies? Are you forgiving those who hurt you? Are you serving and loving those around you? Where are we lacking with obedience? And when we are lacking in areas of our faith, we need to ask the questions, why? What do we do about it? Because remember, it's about the journey not the destination. First is we need to have an attitude change, right? We need to become grateful people. How? By seeking God, 
reading his word, reminding ourselves of all the things that he's done, flooding our thoughts with those things. And then gratefulness births loving obedience. When we have expectations for love from our family, if you love me, you will. We don't want fake love. We don't want begrudging love, right? Like when you ask your kid to feed the dog and, and him or her, you know, stomps their feet all the way to the laundry room and you can hear them spilling the food everywhere and they come and they pour the water and it leaks out of the bowl. You know, that's not what you want. God's not looking for us to stomp around the community, pouting while we serve. He doesn't want you to wake up Sunday morning saying, oh, I'm going to be in upstreet again today. No, it's a get to, not a have to. We're looking for a love that comes out of relationship. Just like you want from your family. I'm your father. I'm your, I'm your mother. I'm your, I'm your brother or your sister. I'm your friend. Husbands and wives, we should desire and want to do this for each other. And if we're lacking in this area of loving God and obeying God, well, then we need to put ourselves in places where we're flooded with gratitude. We need to be in the ready position. And this leads us to the letter D in discipleship. Ready position. If you're familiar with sports, whether it's basketball, soccer, football, whatever it is, maybe it's non-sport like running or something, you know. But there is this, there is this. (laughs) CrossFit exercise. All right. All right. Here. Give me get back. Get back. This is, this is good stuff right here. Um, I coach, I coach nine and 10 year old girls basketball and I coach eight to 10 year old boy soccer. Right. And we're constantly telling the kids, teaching the kids, get in the ready position, right? You have to be in the ready position. If you want to do whatever, whatever it is, you've got to be in the ready position and every season it's the same. Now here's the risk I'm taking right now because I have, there are three or four girls that go to the church that are on my basketball team. And, and one of them is sitting here. Um, and this is not you. This is about the other girls on the team, Jenna, not you, but every season it's the same. I have one or two kids on the team that refuse to get in the ready position ever. Right. They walk out on the court, they stand there arms crossed or their hands are in their pocket. Their heads down, they're flat footed. They're staring off into the crowd, uh, you know, waving to mom or dad, or they're looking in the, in the, in the, in the sky. And it drives me crazy. I I can't get over it. Get in the ready position, Jenna. Get ready to play. It's all I ask. It's all I ask, right? Listen, if we are lacking in areas of our faith, the first thing we can look at is, is, are we in the ready position? In our ready position here at the Grove, when following God is discipleship. The word discipleship means follower. Follower means it's the process of helping people follow Jesus faithfully. And personal discipleship is putting yourself in a position to follow Jesus more faithfully. So what is your ready position? Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up 
in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Continue to be discipled, it says. Overflow with thankfulness. We've gone full circle now back to gratefulness. Let me comment on some criticism that has come our way over the last eight years. The Grove Church is about three things. Loud music, free coffee, and a pastor that tells jokes. There's no substance here. And the funny thing is, is you hear that from people who don't even come here, who've never been here. They've just heard those things, right? But we have had people leave here saying, there's no depth there. I'm, I'm not being fed on Sundays. I'll tell you a story this week. With my 11-month-old Roby, we're sitting in my office and I'm watching, watching her and Rio's with me and we're, I'm kind of trying to work on the message and she's sitting there and she's a little fussy and so we have this little cup of snacks and I'm like, Rio, give her another graham cracker. You put it in her mouth, you know, she's, she's just crying. Give her something, you know. And, and, it's, and it's this cup, it's called a, a snack trap. If parents are familiar with the snack trap, it's this cup with this rubber lid on it that has kind of like these like waves or slits in it where the kid can reach in grab a snack and pull it back out without dumping the cup over or spilling snacks everywhere. It's a great idea, right? And so, I, and so I'm like, she, she's continuing to cry and, and Rio's getting tired of watching her and she's only three and she wants to do something else. She said, Dad, you give her the cracker. So I'm like, she's got this cup. Why doesn't she use this cup? It's, it's for her. So I give her the cup and she instantly grabs it and she's thinking she's pouring, you know, snacks in her face. Well, nothing's coming out because it's a snack trap, right? They're trapped inside. So I grab her hand and I, and I stick it in the cup and she pulls it back out. And I, and I said, no, stick it. And I'm like, look at, grab it, grab it. She keeps pulling her hand out and she wants to lift it up and try to open it and pour things on her face. And so I'm like, she doesn't get it. She's, you know, so I go back to doing my, my thing. And, and, and I, turn, I look back minutes later and her hand's in there and she's pulling out Cheerios and feeding herself Cheerios. And it's like excitement. Like, this is awesome. I go in there and I put her on my lap, you know, and I, and I, and I go in there and I go into the snack trap and I grab a handful of Cheerios and I offer them to her. And she looks at them. And for the last handful of months, that's how we've been feeding her. I, we'd give her the snack. Here it is. And she'd take and eat it. She ignored my hand and went right into the snack trap and pulled out her own Cheerio and ate it. She's 11 months old. If you know or have heard of people leaving the grove because we're not feeding them, this is a message to carry to them. When they're ready to take off their bib and get out of the high chair, they're welcome back. That's my message. There is a personal element to discipleship. Second Thessalonians. I'm going to show you this too. It's biblical. Paul said it. Got to believe it, right? Second Thessalonians. Totally applies. Here we go. Chapter 3, verse 10. No, is that right? Where are we at? Chapter 3. Chapter 3. Verse 10. That's not it. Where's it at? No, oh, verse 10. Here it is. Oh, I got it. I got it. Hey, right here. Shh. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat. My 11th month old found a way to eat. All right. So, Paul said it. Here we go. As a church, we are serious about your discipleship. We can't make you do it, but we can provide the environment for you. For the discipleship process to take place, we need a, there needs to be a couple things. First is you need to be in the right, ready position, and then you need the right environment. So Sunday mornings, this church community, 
Attendance matters to your discipleship. Being with people in faith community, being around teaching and corporate worship moments, serving, involved in small groups. These are elements, these are important elements to your faith. In the month of January, both the church and the fitness centers, they see this huge spike in attendance. But soon both drop off. If you're here today, let me encourage you to stay the course. Stay in the discipleship environment. You should be in a small group where they're centered on scripture. They're challenging your growth. You're surrounded by people. We are providing opportunities to supply what you are lacking. You're lacking growth? Join a small group. You're lacking accountability? Join a small group. You're lacking devotional and reading and journaling and and being in the scripture? Join a small group. Putting you in the ready position for discipleship. But you can stand there with your arms crossed, your hands in your pocket, distracted by other things, not wanting to be here. You can shut me out when I challenge you to change or to be transformed. You can act like the 10-year-old on my basketball team or the 8-year-old on my soccer team. That's up to you. It's God's word And that's the second thing, God's word. Immerse yourself in scripture. Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four. I'm gonna close just in a second here. Verse 12, read this last week. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the divisions of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Second Timothy. Second Timothy 3.16. Some of you guys know this by, by heart. Where are we at? I need to be here more. Three sixteen says this. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good. You see, Christ followers who say they love Jesus and neglect scripture are called spiritual romantics, right? Spirituality is just an ideal to you. It's not your reality. The word of God is there to equip us, to enlighten us, to inspire us, To remind us. And this is how we know God. And yes, he speaks outside of this. But scripture exposes who we are. And puts us back on the right track. That is discipleship. So read the Bible. It penetrates the heart, soul, and mind. And we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. The Bible is essential, but you must read it. You have to learn to feed yourself. And I'll be willing to bet that the people that have left this church saying they're not being fed, they weren't fully plugged in, not serving, not giving, not in a small group. And if they were honest, they probably spent very little time reading the word of God. We must examine our hearts. It will cause some of you to change your life. And then you'll commit to live this mission. But first you have to commit to Jesus Christ. His will is my will. And so we want to help you there. So as like Jody mentioned earlier, today we have reading plans that will help you, whether it's the full Bible or the New Testament, six months to a year, whatever you want up here to help you engage scripture a little deeper. 
We're launching our small groups in just a few weeks, so we're inviting you to join those, to be a part of that, to get into the ready position for discipleship. But it's on you. We have membership packets in the back, and that's a, a great walkthrough for you to see how we got to where we got. What are the things that we deal with? What's, what, is it, what does it mean to reach up and to reach out and reach in? What does it mean to turn irreligious people into fully transformed followers of Christ? What does that mean? So over the next several weeks, we're going to have people come up here and they're going to be teaching some of these things and what we're about. The elders, some of our teachers are going to come and we're going to be a part of this. And our small groups are going to follow along with this as a church, as a body, as individuals corporately get together to get on mission, to do what God's called us to do, to be the Grove Church. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for who you are for what you've called us to and what you've commanded us to love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And so we do this. We want to do this. God, let us find ourselves engaged in community and in in the scriptures to be in the ready position to receive from you as disciples, as followers of Christ, pursuing you, focused on this journey as you lead us into the destination. God, thank you for all that you've provided up to this point. And we thank you in advance to what you're going to provide as we move forward. You are a great God. Your grace is amazing. Thank you so much for the cross. Now lead us to be fully transformed followers of you. In your name we pray. Amen.